Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Opinion Show. And today we are talking about the greatest performances of Brett the Hitman Hart. And I am joined once again by one silver. What's up, man? Good evening, Logan. Good evening, wrestling fans. As we talk about my all-time favorite wrestler, and in my opinion, the greatest single performance any professional wrestler has ever done in one night. What a fucking performance by Bret the Hitman Hart, June 13th, 1993. The first annual pay-per-view for the WWF, the King of the Ring. Yeah, this thing was great, uh, and uh, the whole show was actually pretty damn good uh, from top to bottom. And uh, you had like kind of like the passing of the torch here, although not officially for various political reasons. Hey, you, 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 you just brought up something that I want to add on. I want to add on to. Yes, there was supposed to be an official passing of the torch. A few weeks before this, Vince McMahon had called Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart into his office in Stanford, Connecticut, and told Hogan that he was going to lose the title to Bret Hart at SummerSlam. He was going to beat Yokozuna at the King of the Ring. Bret Hart was going to win the World Rest, uh, the, the first King of the Ring tournament. And then in SummerSlam, he was going to wrestle Bret Hart, and Bret Hart was going to beat Hulk Hogan, a la how Ultimate Warrior had done three years prior. Hogan... Refuse says there's no way in the world. Listen, brother, there's no way in the world that people will see that a guy that's small could be a guy like me. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, he kind of sabotaged him, but it didn't matter because Hitman was over. He was big time over. So McMahon and Pat Patterson had to change it up. So what they did was instead they had Yokozuna just destroy Hulk Hogan on this King of Rangers, put him out the pasture, look like he ended his career as he's caught it off on a stretcher, and Bret Hart puts in a performance of a lifetime, which signals the beginning of the Bret Hart era in the World Wrestling Federation. Does Hogan ever, um, does he ever come back after this, or do you go right to WCW after this, right? A year later, he goes to WCW. Right, so this is it for Hogan and WWF. Like This is the last match he has in the World Wrestling Federation until 2001 when he Russell's the Rock at WrestleMania. Wow. So yeah, this is a big this is a big show. Uh and and Bret Hart had to kind of rescue the show because like, you know, it was a downer to have Hulk Hogan lose. So you got Bret Hart, he's the baby face now and he's fighting against Bam Bam who uh and then in the final. But we'll let's we'll get to that. Let's let's talk about the three matches that you're gonna talk about here. The King of the Ring tournament that night is first round match against Razor Ramon. One of the greatest matches of Razor Ramon's career. Just a phenomenal match. Then in the second, then in the semifinals, he takes on Mr. Perfect. And damn, was Mr. Perfect almost perfect in this match. He was just sensational. This match, this Bret Hart Mr. Perfect match reminded me of the Flair Steamboat Wars. Just a sensational. The chemistry between these two. The speed these two guys showed. Wow. The, the best match of the three matches, which is hard to say because all three were great. And then the championship match for the King of the Ring, Bret Hart going up against 
Bam Bam Bigelow, one of the greatest big men of all time, and Bam Bam shine. He looked like a killer in here. He was, I mean, Pat Patterson booked a masterpiece this night, making Bret Hart. And to those who claim that Bret Hart's every match looks the same, all three of these matches, all different types of matches. Oh, yeah, totally different and uh, exciting in, in different ways. And, uh, you know, what the thing about Bret Hart is that he has a sequence, but it's like he has five, ten, eleven different sequences, and you don't ever know how he's going to put them in. So he always he always changes it up. Um, and, and yeah, he does. Also, you have to add his ring psychology. The only right. man in the history of American wrestling, in my opinion, have greater ring psychology than Bret Hart was the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Great ring psychology added to the sequence of moves, just spectacular and. Damn, does he do a great babyface comeback, babyface in peril. I mean, he was unbelievable this evening. A words cannot describe the greatness that Bret Hart showed this night, June 13, 1993. Yeah, it was a shining, shining moment for him. So let's, let's start with his match with um, Razor Ramon. And uh, you have uh, Hart here basically giving up a lot of size to Razor. So uh, at the first, at, at he, first he tried to kind of wrestle him, but Razor keeps doing these power moves, and uh, eventually he gets him on a killer clothesline um, that almost, like, flips him over, and then he's thrown, um, you know, way into the post shoulder first, uh, and then uh, an overhead slam, like, you know, that thing that he does. I love that. I mean, Scott Hall became a tremendous worker when he wrestled as Razor Ramon. I mean, he took bumps galore. He had great moves. I love the suplexes, and you talk about that what you call that, that, that way, what do you call that? Uh, overhead? overhead slam? Oh, I love that move. Yeah, that shit's awesome. Yeah, he, he kept, he's been doing that, you know, um, he retired. But, uh, but yeah, so then you get um, um, him, him getting a reverse. Uh, I mean, uh, then you see Bret Hart with the great comeback, like you were talking about. Um, and uh, But then you get that backbreaker, that classic backbreaker by Hart. Uh, and then you get the... Um, um, he, he does the I, Russian leg sweep. He does the spine buster. He does all of his signature Bret Hart moves. But like you mentioned earlier, in, def, in different sequences, he only does it when it, it when when it's appropriate in the match. Yeah, well, he also has a spot he loves to do is where he tries to get a bulldog, and then instead they ram him into the uh, turnbuckle, and he goes there full yes. force. Yes, yes. And that's just like great bump taking right there. Um, it looks like really painful, and uh, it looks like they really like threw him in there. And you have you know a guy like Razor Ramon, he like looks strong, got, like his chest got caved in. Another psychology, right. also the great ring psychology by Bret Hart. In this match, Razor Ramon stops both of his hands. So for the rest of the tournament, Bret Hart favors both his hands because unlike today's product, where you get where you get hit with a sledgehammer in the face, and then five minutes later, you're making a comeback. You're not broken down. Get the fuck out of here. In this match, throughout the rest of the night, Bret Hart favors his hands because it was stomped on by a dude 50 pounds heavy than him. Yeah, so uh, he goes for the razor's edge. Um, uh, razor Ramon does it, but it gets reversed. Um, almost, It almost pins him. Uh, then he goes for a... Uh, then Razor turns it around. It looks like Razor's going to win because he hits him with a vicious clothesline. And, 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 oh, by the way, Bobby Heenan 
was sensational this entire night on the comment. Oh, yeah. He was great. Fucking great. And so was Jim Ross. Jim Ross was Jim Ross. I mean, they didn't eat Macho Man was hyperbole. You didn't need Macho Man. Ross and Heenan were sensational in all three matches, just calling. And Ross, oh, my God, was he, oh, pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, I like I like Macho Man because he's 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 just marking out about the shit. He's like, uh, you know, really impressed with Bret Hart. You know, it's just, well, it really shows it in the what was it in the, when he, when um, and we'll talk about it later. And he talking about and Bret wins this match. I'm gonna jump in the air and hit the ceiling. My head's gonna hit the ceiling and I'm coming to ring. <laughs> yeah, but when he when he um. It's funny because he remember that wrestling classic that he did. He was the star of that one. Yes, uh, yes, that was yes, yes. He was this, we when we ever do a Randy Savage, we will be doing a Randy Savage greatest performances because he's one of the greatest of all time. That match with the JYD will probably be on that show. So yes, Randy Savage. Even, even his match with the um, the Dynamite Kid was awesome. And his, yes, yes, yes. He was sensational that night. Yeah, that that might be the show, the wrestling classic from '85 for Randy Savage. But he, he was sensational too. I, and you know what? He was a lot of hyperbole in this in this, but he showed a lot of drama. Like he was rooting on Bret Hart while he didn't was rooting, rooting against uh, Bret Hart. And Jim Ross, being the great great announcer that he is, the greatest of all time, just unbelievable calling this match. And what I loved about this tournament, Logan, was that it was presented as an actual sport. It wasn't presented as a cartoon. It was presented as an actual sport. This is a man trying to win a one-night tournament, sort of like the UFC, which would would come on a few months later. That one-night tournament when they first started, a sporting event, not a spectacle. Okay, yeah, so at the end of this match, uh, basically um, you, you see uh, Ray, uh, Razor Ramon, he gets on the second rope, belly to back, to go for a belly-to-back suplex off the top rope, and Bret Hart reverses it into a small package pin. Right. So then we got um, Mr. He's then you know there's a few more matches. I think Mr. Perfect goes up against uh, Mr. Huge's, and he and he wins uh, by he wins by disqualification. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think and that was it. And then we went right into uh, Bret Hart, right? Or was there another match? There probably was. I forget. You but, had Luger and Tataka a double counter. And so Bam Bam Bigelow goes to the finals. He doesn't have to wrestle anybody because Luger and Tatanka fought to a double countout. So now the winner of Bret Hart's Mr. Perfect will be facing a, a well-rested Bam Bam Bigelow. That's right. So you have this. It starts off like, because they're both baby faces at this point. Um, face versus baby face match and a great promo with Gene Oakland before the match Egging it on, so about oh, hey man, you said you'd rather face perfect than Mister Hughes. Why you think he's an easier guy to beat? And Bret Hart like, no, no, I want a wrestling match. And and and, and then they get into their fathers, and they talk about how their father couldn't beat his father, such and such. And so that sets up the and not animosity between these two. And then Bret Hart also brings up, well, remember the last time we faced each other at SummerSlam, who beat who? Yeah. And and that's another thing is that uh, Mr. Perfect goes back to his kind of heelish ways in this uh, a little bit. Uh, so does Brett. I mean, they both cheat a little bit in this match. You know, face versus face, perfect place to heal throughout this match. Yeah. 
And and I thought um, Brett did some heel moves too. He did some. Logan, this was one of the greatest matches of that year. What a sensational match! This beat and mind you, Logan, this is Kurt Hendy coming off major back surgery, and he was. This is the best match up up in 1993. Perfect had two great matches. A match with Ric Flair, a loser leave WWF match in January on Raw of '93, and this match. A few months later, he leaves the promotion. I don't know what happened there, but this was the highlight of that of that year. What a sensational match! Mr. Speed, that these two guys would show the blocks and the and the, the, the the soup. Oh my! Just by mentioning this fucking match, wow. Yeah, this match would have been good in any arena. Like, you go to Japan with this, you go to ROH right now with this, you go to anywhere. This match reminded me of the Flair, Steamboat, Flair, Wyndham matches from the late 80s in the, in, in the NWA, in Crockett. Yeah. So, I mean, right, uh, it, it's a fast-paced match. I mean, I'll just get some of the highlights here. I mean, you get a great back and forth at the beginning of just technical skill here. Uh, you got a hit toss on per, a perfect, and then... He, he gets quickly gets him in a headlock, but then scissors um, uh, Bret Hart, and like basically, uh, you just they're going like kind of even on shit. Like, but Bret Hart is like uh, now like in, you know he has to pry himself out of perfect like leg lock there. Um, then you get like um, you know a bunch of moves back and forth, and then Hitman gets on that headlock and just kind of maintains it for a while. Does some mat work on uh, on Mister Perfect there, and then. Uh, this is where you start to see um, a hair pull by Mr. Perfect. Uh, this is where he really starts healing here, trying to get himself out of this headlock. Um, around, and it's also around this time where he, he uh, grabs Bret Hart's hair and throws him across the ring. Yeah, that's a little bit after this. He gets caught. Um, uh, he, there's, um, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, he, he, hits, he gets caught in the, um, in, in the ropes, but then he's supposed to break. Instead, he gives a big knee. Uh, to uh, to uh, he doesn't break and gives a knee to Bret um, Hart and then uh, he gets a st- we get a great standing drop kick by uh, Mr. Perfect yes. yeah a great standing drop kick by Kurt Henning yes yeah then Perfect uh, um, you know I, uh, what's his name um, Bret Hart is outside and he's trying to get back in and Perfect like lures him in by sitting on the ropes and just like hey come in you know I call all like statesman like instead like coming in. So he, uh, another heel move by Mr. Perfect. Um, and then, uh, but then, uh, Mr. Perfect is, um, ch- chopping him and then he throws him by the hair. Yeah, this is where he fucking throws him. Yeah. Um, and, um, he also sends him flying. That's another Bret Hart move is like, he goes like flying into the ring post and like knocks his shoulder. And, uh, that's like, you look like Brett is just basically done for here. And, and, and what I love, once again, the, the announcer comes in. Heenan is like, oh, just, let him, just, just let him get counted out. Come on, Perk, just don't worry about it. Don't, don't stop the count. <laughs> oh, yeah, vicious. I mean, so there's a vicious knee by Perfect here, and then Perfect goes to the top rope and, uh, and, it, and does a drop kick to Bret Hart's leg. That looks like it really fucking hurt. Yep. Uh, and then... Uh, Hart is about to get pinned, but then he puts his foot on the rope like Flair. Uh, then you get um, he, he they get the chest uh, into the turnbuckle spot that he likes to do. Uh, uh, Mister Perfect chucks him into the turnbuckle. Uh, 
Uh, Perfect's frustrated, though, because he can't get the fucking pin, uh, and he's starting to get a little, like, nervous. Um, he gets on the top rope, and, and uh, he gets knocked and then crotched on the top rope by uh, by Bret Hart. Um, and then we get a second rope superplex by Hart. Um, and um, then it, then he starts working on uh, Perfect's legs by yes. kicking by yes. by kicking it. Yes. And like he like he wants to do where he's always working the leg and setting it up for the strop shooter. And he yeah. is this sequence where he puts him in the figure four? Yeah, and then he uh puts him in the figure four and we get an eye poke. Oh, this reminds me of the Flair Steamboat and Flair Wyndham and Flair Von Eric matches of the eighties where he's putting the pressure on. Mr. Perfect tries to break the hole, it doesn't work and Ross at his great glove. Could he actually go out? Could he actually submit? Yeah, and he he basically tries to you know he pokes him in the eye. And he finally gets the rope, um, and uh, so then we got like, um, but then he he totally sells the leg. Perfect, like it's just a great worker here. Like selling the leg, like it's basically like he can't even walk on it. Um, Brett goes to work on that leg, like kicking him with and and I love I love Brett, it when Brett Hart kicks him from underneath, and Perfect does those great bumps like he like. Like, um, the only guy that could match that today is Dolph Ziggler. Oh, yeah. Dolph definitely does this kind of stuff. It's like you flip over from the, uh, it's such a great bump. Yeah, and he, and he does that a couple of times. Um, um, then then we get, um, Perfect gets thrown by the hair. And then, and then he crotches himself, and then he crotches himself in the ring post, a move that he does, looks like he's actually breaking his balls. He does that bump so well. We get a sleeper by uh, Miss Perfect, uh, and then Brett tries to get out of it by grabbing hair. So he starts doing a little heel work here. Um, um, he gets out. Um, he gets a, he gets out again, but then he gets a sleeper again. Brett runs into the turnbuckle backward, knocking uh, Perfect off him, and then we get a forearm from hell from. Uh, from Brett, I don't know. Like, did you see that forearm he threw? It really like knocked the shit out. <laughs> Great forearm. Yeah, and uh, then he yeah that that's where um, he throws perfect by the air. Uh, perfect um, racks himself on the pole uh, by like backing up mm-hmm. on his own, and then uh, Brett does a, his his uh, his classic sequence here of a back body drop, Russian leg sweep. Yeah. Um, Backbreaker and then elbow drop, um, and then he goes for the uh, sharpshooter attempt, uh, but um, but that's where uh, we he sells the hand injury from the last uh, yes. encounter where uh, yes. because uh, Mr. Perfect starts bending on his fingers. Yes, yes, and that's what the, the selling of the prior when the prior match raised room was stomping on his hands, and he stomps on his hands. Um, and then so we get uh, they they um, he goes for the perfect plex, and instead of getting it, he gets blocked. And Brett does this, the ring psychology. Bret Hart is doing everything he can not to get caught in this perfect plex, and Jim Ross is going crazy. Jim Ross announcing these matches like an actual sporting event and talking about the 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 once and and, and oh he's got to find a way to block that perfect plex because. Perfect. He's trying to get it on him. So it's 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 great because uh, at this moment he instead of getting the perfect flex on him, he he ends up suplexing 
uh, Mr. Perfect to the other oh, side. Rope and wow, they both go over the top rope. What a fucking like Vince McMahon would always say. What a maneuver! Well, it looks like it looks like Brett. I mean, uh, it looks like um, Mr. Perfect banged his back on that fucking ring apron, man. Yes, it didn't look he did. yes. And he, you said he just got back surgery, so I mean that was a hell of a move to plan to take okay. after back surgery. Okay, he was out eighteen months because of uh, because of back surgery. So yeah, yeah. So um, then uh, they're back in the ring, um, and uh, and then I think um, Perfect gets back in inside cradle by Perfect, which is then reversed by Bret Hart. And uh, he gets the win. But great you know, match, man. A, a, a great match. A little tense after the match. Perfect comes in the ring. And instead of attacking Bret Hart, he shakes his hand and keeping his face status. And Perfect had gone on a great run in the WWF at this point. But then out of nowhere, it's in September of 93, he walked out of the promotion. And he left for almost two years. And he was never the same after that. Well, he probably was realizes he couldn't do it anymore, you know, without it's like it was tough. But I, I just don't understand he could have still done some announcing. You well, know? Hey, back he was an announcer until he left in ninety six to join WCW. Right, right. Well in any case, uh both these guys, I mean this this match was just like you gotta give kudos. In, in all these matches, you you needed the other guy too. So I can't say it was all Bret Hart. Yeah, all three matches, Bret Hart was going against great workers. Razor Ramon, at this point in his career, was doing the best work of his career. Scott Hall, uh, Mr. Perfect, from 1985 to 1993, was one of the five best workers in the United States. And Bam Bam Bigelow is arguably no worse than the second or third greatest big man work of all time. And we're gonna get to this match. That man was sensational. Yeah, I mean, really, and 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 honestly, like if you think about it, like uh, Bam Bam, I don't know where it's like. Did he ever face? Uh, I was just always wondering. Did he ever face Vader? Did you ever see a Bam Bam Vader match in New Japan? They wrestled each other, and they were a monster tag team in New Japan, holding the okay. tag team championship over there. So yeah, Bigelow and Vader both were with New Japan at one point. Never in the United States, but in Japan, they were both a tag team and faced each other on several occasions. Well, this is a real beast from the East, okay? Uh, this is the original uh, Bam Bam Bigelow here. And, yeah, he's uh, he's quite a mover for that size of his. Um, from 1992 until the WrestleMania in 95, where he wrestled Lawrence Taylor, they booked Bam Bam great. They booked, they did, they did, they booked him great. After they turned him face in the spring of 95, they buried him because Michaels, Ramon, and, 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 and Kevin Nash were getting upset that he was getting popular. And so they buried him. And Bigelow never recovered from that. Uh, well, actually, also, uh, Vader was a victim of the click as well. Yeah, the click, uh, the click, the click destroyed the two greatest big men of all time. And, and I mean... Vader was supposed to beat Shawn Michaels in SummerSlam 96, and Michaels bitched and moaned on McMahon and had to change the, change the um, outcome. Right, right. So so that's the deal. Um, anyway, so we get this um, match here. Bigelow's coming off a bye, 
so he's uh, real rested, and uh, they they come to the ring, and uh, it's basically uh, what, what the the match begins the, with them going toe to toe, and I love it, and, and um, Jim Ross like that's a mistake by the hitman. You don't go toe to toe with this beast. And he's right because Beast just kicks the shit out of him. His punches. Look, he looked like he was hammering him for real. And those headbutts off the top rope. I mean, God, Lord, Bigelow was great. Yeah, Bigelow was. Uh, I mean, basically, this was a match where like Bigelow was mostly off, getting most of the offense, until even Luna Mashan comes out and like smashes him in the head with a chair. So, so. It looks like this is it, man. He's gonna lose, and he does. He gets, uh, he gets pinned. So um, after Luna, who was Bigelow's manager at this time, and they were a great team. Um, after she smashes Bret Hart with the chair outside the ring, Bigelow lands a monster headbutt off the top rope, pins Bret Hart, and it looks like it's over. Like, ah, shit, Bigelow, Bigelow's the king of the ring. Dave Hebner comes in the ring, and tells Joey Morella, and um, unfortunately, Logan. This would be the last big event Joey Morella um, uh, referees because three weeks later he dies in a Fourth of July car crash. But, wow. uh, so 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 the, the the match is restarted because Hebner saw the interference outside the ring. Great swerve by Pat Patterson. The the, the fans are like yes yes and then um and um he the, the, the uh, ring, Howard Finkel makes a mistake and said that the match was the the match was re, the the outcome was reversed. The decision was reversed. No, it wasn't. And Savage is like, Heenan, you should be happy. The match is still going on. The dusty finished. Yeah. Ross should have won. By all rights, he should be the winner. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember, they said it had to be a pin. So I, I remember that at the beginning. But, right, uh, right, right. So, so they, they start the match. And this is where the match, I think, really kicks into high gear because this is where you start to see the talent of these two guys. Well, you know what? That's reminded me of Logan in a match we covered on the greatest match of uh, greatest matches wrestling history. Later that year, Starcade '93, Vader versus Ric Flair, where you had the monster against the smaller guy, and right. this is what this match reminds me of, where you had the master worker Bret Hart and Ric Flair bouncing off the great big man Bigelow Vader. What? Those two matches are very similar in the way this because both guys were hurt. Both guys were, were were getting destroyed, and both guys found a way to overcome the monster. Yes, and like you really, uh, you really saw some great selling by uh, Bret Hart here as he's taking the beating from How Bam Bam Tula. Throws him over the top rope. Oh, right. I mean, that's like the first thing he does. <laughs> like a missile. <laughs> yeah, and very fucking. Okay, so some of the stuff he does before yeah, he even he, gets hit. Hit with the chairs. He goes in and he uh, he 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 throws him over the top rope. He slams him onto the like cement and um, throws. I remember at one point uh, he, he um, yeah he throws him right into the pole. I mean he's just like oh yes they were outside the ring and he and he slams his back up against the ring post. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I think so. Bret Hart took a lot of fun. And he's doing a great job in this match because Macho was like oh. Oh, Hitman! His hands! His legs! Now yeah. so, he's all messed up! He's all screwed up! So he tries to get the sharpshooter on and doesn't, like, he just gets, like, thrown off. It's um, a good point. He's just like, no, that's not gonna work! Come on, Brent! And then Ross is like, 
Well, remember, he, remember, Braid, he was able to get the sharpshooter on Yokozuna at WrestleMania. Halfway, yeah, right. So then he gets uh, he gets him, uh, he gets up on his shoulders and does a crazy move where he fucking pins him with his legs. I mean, I, it was just like... <laughs> now, Bam Bam Bigelow, in a shoot interview several years later, said that while this roll-up happened, Bret Hart fought it in his face. <laughs> hey man, that's the price you gotta pay for a great match, you know. It's like he was like, because they were asking. I think it was our video shoot, and um, Rob Feinstein was asking Bigelow, "What do you think about? What did you think about that last moment when, when um, you guys had this great match and, and the pop when Bret Hart pins you?" Bigelow was like, "I was too busy trying to mask the smell because Bret Hart fought it in my face as he rolled me up." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, I'm sure, you know, whatever, dude. He's proud of that match nonetheless. It was uh the hell of a match and uh it made it really showcased his his um greatness as well. Batman Bigelow in his two runs in the WWF Logan had three spectacular performances on pay per view. The first Survivor Series where he was the last guy standing against Andre the Giant, One Man Gang, and King Kong Bundy, where he worked his ass off, finally getting pinned by Andre. Great one-man performance by Bigelow in that match. This match, and then WrestleMania, was it 11? WrestleMania 11 against Lawrence Taylor, in which he made Lawrence Taylor look credible by giving one of the greatest performances in professional wrestling history. When we do Bam Bam Bigelow's greatest performances, those two will be included, the Survivor Series of 87 and the WrestleMania match against Lawrence Taylor because he was sensational. When when the, when McMahon and Patterson gave Bigelow time to shine, he shot like no other big man. He's dead, right? Unfortunately, both Perfect and Bigelow died in their early 40s. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, Bigelow, he was one of those guys that, like, despite his size, he would, he could move. I think he probably moved better than anybody that size. Him and Vader are the two greatest big men, but he was much quicker than Vader. Vader was more of a power force, while Bigelow was, I mean, he was, he could do cartwheels. How the fuck a 400-pound dude, he did cartwheels. Yeah, that was always a great thing that he used to do. I was like, uh, yeah, it just showed his agility as a fat guy. So definitely, but let's let's go. Let's talk a little bit about Bret Hart outside of '93 here in this uh, tournament because obviously he had a lot of other performances that are great. Um, so why don't you kind of talk about some of those? After this, after this, McMahon went a different route. I mean, Hogan's gone. Hogan's left the federation. He couldn't get the match with Bret Hart at SummerSlam. So instead, instead of doing Bret Hart versus Yokozuna at SummerSlam. Three weeks later, he decides to turn Lex Luger in the in the famous July 4th body slamming on the intrapit of Yokozuna, which set up the SummerSlam main event in which McMahon dropped the ball on that one. He should have had Luger go over Yokozuna clean. Instead, he has Yokozuna lose by countout, and the steam goes right out of Luger's push. And then at the Royal Rumble 94, Luger and Bret Hart are, both go out the ring at the same time. And so they're they get listed as co-winners of the Royal Rumble, and the fans were backing Bret Hart 
to the point where McMahon had to change his decision and, and instead of putting the bet on Luger, Bret Hart wins that 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 three match tournament at WrestleMania where he beats Yogasuna to regain the WWF championship. And this is the Bret Hart era. Right now, this is the beginning of the Bret Hart era. From this moment on, the Montreal School Drop Drop in November of '97. Right, and so that is like really just the the part of his career where you're going to see his best matches. Obviously, uh, his double turn with Austin. Oh, his uh, was Austin, which in which you can go back on our archives, the greatest performances ever. Very first show we talk about that that match. To, to this day, still, in my opinion, the greatest match in history of the World Wrestling Federation. What a great the psychology, the brutality, a great fucking match. And it made Austin, they turned Austin into an overnight superstar. Yeah, and that's another thing Brett is uh, good at. I mean, probably better than, almost as good as Ric Flair. I mean, in that same way as Ric Flair is making his opponent look awesome, no matter who it is. Yes. So, And one thing I, another thing I want to note, Bret Hart and Ric Flair for years were feuding in real life, hated each other. Good news, fans. And you can check Ric Flair's podcast. Recently, he did a show with Bret Hart. They've made amends, and they're real good. They're real close. They're real good friends now. Of course, man. You know why? Because they're so similar in their... Well, what happened was when, when um, Flair's son died, Bret Hart reached out to him and talked about how he, he understood what he was going through when he fell for him, and he, 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 he texted him. And Flair mentions on the podcast to Bret Hart how that made it, how he was in a deep, dark place at the time, and that text really brought him up. And they're tight now. They were never friends before. They're friends now. I love to see that. Two guys who, who you know, very immature the way they were treating each other. I mean, ridiculous. Oh, you're not that good. Oh, no, you're not that good. I'm better than you. You two guys, you're at the top. You're on the Mount Rushmore of workers in the history of the United States. No, what they were doing was, like, one was, like, really, I, I don't know who it was, but I think it was, um, I think it was first that it was Brett who said some shit about Flair. Uh, and uh, in his book, he said something like he only does, you know, he has no, the same Flair, match every time. started it. Flair's book came out before Bret Hart's. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, because I, I, Brett, um, Bret Hart's, um, book was more famous, obviously. Yeah, than, well, uh, Bret Hart, that's the greatest wrestling book ever written, so yeah. <laughs> but, so, yeah, he, he, he they buried each other in real life, and uh, uh, Flair would bury Bret Hart personally, and Bret Hart, tit for tat, Bret Hart, about four years ago, had the very first wrestler's podcast. He had a podcast that came on nightly, and he would have a guy get on the radio, and I think it was that guy that used to work for the WWF, what, uh, Jason Sensation? would come on okay. the air and pretend to be Ric Flair drunk and fucked up. Oh, Brett, you're the best there is. The... I mean, it would. he would just, I mean, he would just make fun of Ric uh, Flair's alcoholism, and everybody knows about his battles with alcohol over the years. But, but unfortunately, with Reed Flair dying, and this goes back to Logan, what I've talked about in the past, and you probably noticed too, when you have a parent or parents that are, addicted to substance abuse, there's a great chance that their children are going to, are going to be affected. And I think Flair realized that. Bret Hart step, uh, uh, was there for him in the time of need, and now they're good friends. Well, that's good. Um, and uh, when you talk about Bret Hart, like, do you think, though, that his he could have had some more greatness had he not uh, 
got kicked by Goldberg. Uh, I think had so, he not gotten kicked in the head by Goldberg, I think he would have had one last great run in the WWF. Possibly part of that invasion angle. How great that invasion angle would have been if it would have been Bret Hart and Ric Flair coming into the WWF and Goldberg coming into the WWF and battling Stone Cold and The Rock and so forth. Yeah, man. Uh, it, it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It was going to cost a lot of money to buy out these contracts. They made so much money, though. Yeah, they would have made the money back. There's they no would have made the money back at, at, the, at the very first pay-per-view. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was all about setting the precedent, though. They didn't want to set the precedent because basically, you know, WWE's been trying to, like, bring salaries down, you know, ever since that I, era. I, I think had, had that kick in the head not happened, WCW was going up in flames because a, a little bit over a year later, they were bought out by the WWF. Bret Hart would have made, but it came back to the WWF. And think about this feud, this, this invasion. You screwed me, so I'm going to screw you back. Remember that. Right. Yeah, yeah he, could, he could be the leader of the NWO, you know, or whatever. <laughs> oh, the leader of the WCW faction. WC- Remember, they ran me out of town. They stole the belt from me. I'm coming back to steal the, the, the Federation from you. Yeah, that no, that was that that was a completely bot um, uh, invasion angle well, for sure. Think about the matches he would have had with Kurt Angle or John Cena, guys that he respect. I mean, yeah, Flair, uh, Hart rather, Hart would have probably wrestled till he was about fifty, and he would have had a lot of great matches because before he got kicked in the head, he was still that Bret Hart. Yeah, now he when he did he ever have a match with Hogan in WCW? Yes, yes, they had a a match in which, in um, I'm trying to remember now, the fall of '98, he wrestled Hogan, and their very first match was wasted on a nitro, and which was really basically background to him turning on Sting. Right, that's right. So it wasn't actually a real match. Um, it was a, it was a, it was a match that was a fake matchup because they really didn't do anything. Then Bret Hart goes to the back. It was an angle. It was an angle. Angle, which which him, Papa Pump, Big Papa Pump, and um, what's that faggot's name? Marcus Bagwell jumped Sting in the ambulance, and 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 um, that started the Sting Bret Hart feud. Right. How was that? Did that turn out okay? Yeah. Uh, the Bret match at Halloween Havoc, and um, after that, Sting disappeared for a few months. So did Sting uh, win that match? No, no. Bret Hart won that match. He won the U.S. title from um, Sting at Halloween Havoc '98. Okay, and that was that the Crow. I guess that had to be the Crow Sting because yeah, he was Crow by that time. Yeah, that was the Crow Sting. Um, so, so uh, Bret Hart, um, and then his his. Of course, he he has had a few matches with Ric Flair. Does Bret Hart regard those matches as good? Well, he ripped them in the book, but uh, recently on the podcast. Since they made amends, uh, Bret Hart has, you know, reversed his his, his um, feelings about those matches and said, yeah, every time he wrestled Flair, he had fun in the ring and Flair reciprocated. I think it was a there, there was a lot of jealousy involved between the two, a lot of bitter, bitter feelings, a lot of immaturity. But I'm glad that's out of the way because we covered a couple of those matches on the greatest performances. They yeah. had great matches against each other. Oh, yeah, they're objectively good at Another thing question is, did he ever wrestle Macho Man? We covered the, the one time they wrestled in the WWE against each other. We covered that. The Saturday main event, the greatest match ever on Saturday main event history. The match in which 
of, of Savage fought with one leg and beat Bret Hart. That's right. Okay. I, 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 I remember that. I remember that. But the thing I question is, is like. The greatest matches of, of all time. But that was that was the only time, right? And in the WCW, they wrestled each other on a pay-per-view. Oh, okay. And I wonder how that match was. We'll have to check that out. Um, but It wasn't that good. Bret Hart was disinterested, and Macho Man was already past his prime. I see. Okay. Well, nonetheless, man, a great career. Hall of Famer. First ballot, I'm I sure. He was, in the, uh, he was in the very first class. The inaugural Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame class, 1996. He was, they didn't even put a vote. Dave Meltzer, his best friend, put together a list of guys that should go in right away. Bret Hart was on that list with Hogan and Vern Gagne, Bruno Sammartino. Bret Hart was in that class. But uh, but not Owen Hart, unfortunately. Uh, just Bret. But uh, I guess Owen didn't have a long enough career. But is that his fault? But anyway. You're right about that. Anyway, uh, so tribute to um, Bret Hart. And um, hopefully uh, we can uh, revisit some, uh, you know, when we start doing our shows based on pay-per-views. Oh, we'll... no, there's still, I mean, we if you go to the archives, our listeners, there's a whole, there's a plethora, a plethora of Bret Hart matches. Bret Hart yeah. on, that, on that show. And when, when we, so, and then when we go back to the, great, to the Greatest Matches series, there's still a lot more. I mean, there's a lot of matches we haven't covered. If you had the Calgary Stampede pay-per-view, July of '97, the, the the Heart Foundation versus the Road Warriors, Gold Dust, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Ken Shamrock. What a sensational match that was! There's just a lot of great matches that we can cover. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're gonna try to do next is do the. I mean, we're, we got a long way to go with this greatest performances, but we can do the greatest cards. You know, okay. like. Wrestling cards, yeah, there have been so many. And this would be right up there. This King of the Ring was one of oh, the best. Oh, this is the cards. top, yeah. This, this is one, one of the best. In WWF history, without a doubt. And what I meant by passing of the torch was you saw Hogan going out and him on the ascendance. And so in one... To Logan, because this is the date I call the official beginning of the... The, the official end of the Hulkamania era and the official beginning of the Bret Hart era. So, yes, yep. that passing of the torch... Happened, even though Hogan didn't want it to happen. It happened this night. Yep. And uh, in a way, it probably was better the way it happened because you kept them separate. Yeah, you, don't have you, to... you know, Hogan would have would have had some boxed up bullshit, slip on a banana peel, get his head caught in the ropes. He gets pinned, but his leg is on the rope. Bullshit, ending to lose the brown. He has to. Yeah, he's. Hey, man, that's how Hogan stayed where he was, so you can't really knock him, man. He's well, like, I got some credit, though. He did let Goldberg pin him cleanly, one, two, three, in the middle of the ring. But that was, you know, that made no sense to me. You know, when when he did that, I was like, was, why the fuck did he do that? But anyway. $50 million and threw it down the drain. Because if you would have put that shit on pay-per-view, the records it would have set at that time. Yeah. Stupid. Anyway, uh, I think he was planning on winning it back, like, right away. He lost to Goldberg one two three. Was that him and Bischoff had Bischoff had promised to get a star kid or whatever? We'll reverse it. We'll have him. You beat him in the middle of the ring, but that that never happened. And yeah, he was gonna beat the streak. That was gonna be his deal. Like he beat the streak. Kevin Hall, Kevin Nash became the Booker and beat him to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the games, 
Anyway, man, thanks for uh, thanks everybody for listening. This is the Pro Wrestling Opinion Show. We'll be back with another greatest performances. You know who it is. I will I will IM you and put it on Twitter in a few days, big man. All right. So check that out and we'll be back soon, man. Thanks again, man. Talk to you next week. Peace. And just just in, our next show will be the greatest performances of Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs>